Friday Lunchtime Lectures at the Open Data Institute. This week, Ben Worthy, Lecturer in Politics at Birkbeck College, examines the publishing of local authority spending figures across England. Who has been using this information and has it delivered on its promise of greater transparency? Okay, hello everybody. Uh, my name's Ben Worthy. I'm a lecturer in politics uh, based at Birkbeck College, University of London. Before that, for five years, I was a research associate in Freedom Information based at uh, University College London. Um, and I just want to say thank you for coming along. This is the first time I've presented this data. And uh, what I really wanted to do today was talk you through some of the findings, some of my provisional thoughts on what it might mean, and then open it up to you to really discuss and give me your thoughts uh, and input. The, uh, the, the, the title gives it a bit more of an air of finality, as you'll see, than, than I can probably give you. Um, and in a spirit of kind of methodological honesty, I want to tell you how I'm getting this information. Uh, my focus is on um, open data, and in particular, the impact of uh, making all local authorities, or asking all local authorities to publish their spending over £500 on a monthly basis. Um, firstly, I've made some freedom information requests, and I've asked uh, a sample of local authorities to tell me how many hits they've had on their spending data parts of their sites since they've put the information up there. Uh, I had a, a variety of responses in a variety of formats, so I'm currently uh, trying to tidy up that information and um, make it more coherent. I've uh, sent out a survey to local authorities with 10 questions about the transparency agenda and um, particularly the spending data. Uh, today I've had 70 responses, which is more or less um, one in five local authorities uh, responding to me. I've conducted interviews with a series of uh, officers across local government, innovators and experts, and I've also uh, tried to look at whether the local and regional media have been using this information, and also whether any bloggers and other people online have been using it. Now, all these findings are very provisional, um, and I would also be interested in your thoughts of any other research methods or routes to, to get hold of, of more data. So if we're going to try and find out whether it was worth it, we need to try and find out what it's intended to do. And rather like transparency policies more generally, um, what we find here is a mix of political, economic, and social objectives. So if you can see this quote from the Department of Community and Local Governments, you can see it's intended to bring political accountability, uh, financial accountability. It's supposed to engage different groups in local government. And most eye-cattingly of all, it's going to revolutionize local government by making citizens themselves into auditors. And that's something... Um, I'll take a look at. Now, I'm a political scientist, um, so I'm interested in the democratic aspects of this uh, information and what sort of impact it has, though they do overlap with the financial. So what I've done is split it into three different types of transparency it could potentially create. The first is transparency and accountability. The idea is you will open up local authorities and you'll make them more accountable to the public and a range of other bodies that look at this information and then ask questions on the back of it. And here it's very closely linked into the wider localism agenda of the coalition government, which really follows on from what Labour have been doing. There's also transparency and participation. This is the idea that more information will stimulate public involvement in local government. And again, it's connected to localism, the idea of the devolution of power, and also to ideas such as the big society. The third sort of transparency is much more a kind of 
quotidian day-to-day -day transparency. And this is the idea that the data can kind of flow into people's everyday lives and help them when they seek to understand what their public bodies are doing and also to help them make choices about what they want to do. So, without further ado, here's some of my provisional findings. The first question is, is anybody using this data? To which the answer is a qualified yes. Um, more than half of the uh, local authorities I've had responses from say that use is low or very low. Um, the highest use, as you can see, is 6,002 page views um, over more than two years, and the lowest is 167 page views over a 26-month period. Um, this idea that the use is quite low is supported by uh, Antti Halonen's work, who sat there at the back, as well as uh, surveys by the local government association. Here's just a sample of uh, some of the page views between January and December 2012 for uh, different levels of authority. And as you can see, the, the range is quite wide. Just by way of a comparison, and a very proximate comparison, here's um, some of the other kind of open data innovations and how many hits they've had in a single month. This is police.uk, the crime map. This is data.gov.uk. And here's They Work For You, which allows you to look at uh, what individual MPs and peers are doing and what do they know. Those two are my society sites. Now, this is a very proximate comparison because this is for visits per month. And these sites do very different things from what the spending data does. But it just gives you some context. So I did ask, both in my survey and in my interviews, why is use at the level that it is? And there's been a range of answers given to me. The first is it's about presentation. The data itself is often in a format that isn't helpful for understanding. There's no narrative. It doesn't really explain things. And it's not comparable across local authorities. A second issue is more behavioural. And this is that when people interact with their local authority, and I'm not going to ask you if you ever interacted with your local authority, but if you do, you generally ask a question. It's not, it, not really the case that you go searching for information, but often people ask. So it doesn't fit with kind of pre-existing behaviour. And thirdly, there is the classic motivation. How many people get involved in politics? How many people get involved in even local politics, which is the area where most people meet politics? However, I don't want to say that because there is low use directly of website spending, that means it's failed because I think it's much more nuanced than that. Studies of political communication, and this goes from everything from newspapers to the internet, find that most people find out about in things to do with government second-hand via so-called opinion formers. These are the people who find the information and then tell their family and friends. So just because there's a little direct use doesn't mean use isn't happening. The second issue is I'm only asking here for direct views of local authority websites. There's nothing here about the innovations, the openly locals and the other innovations that have been developed. And that's what I want to look at in the future, because that could tell a very different story. And finally, it's not all about quantity. The example of freedom of information and the MP's expenses, which Rohan Silver says was one of the main motivations for the coalition government getting behind open data, tells us that it only takes one piece of information to have quite a dramatic impact on a political system. So who is using the data? Again, it's very difficult to tell. And these are proximate guesses from the survey of uh, local authorities. And as you'll notice, I asked them to say who the primary user was. And some um, pointed to more than one as the primary user. 
Now, it seems that there is some public interest. Uh, there's a question about whether those people are the so-called usual suspects already involved in what their local authority is doing and just using this as a new outlet. The media do seem to be using um, the spending data to an extent. Um, when I've searched um, a local regional newspaper database, it seems there's 148 articles using the spending data, explicitly stating that, um, the words uh, spending over £500. Um, some of them were about the spending, and there was articles about use of air fresheners, expensive trips, and even individual accounts as behaviour. Some of the articles, interestingly, were not about the spending, but trying to lambast authorities that weren't publishing the spending. And another set of articles were trying to encourage others to use the spending. Business seems to be a very heavy user of the spending data, and this also fits with the fact that businesses are very heavy users of freedom of information at local level. And finally, and this is an area I want to look into much more, there seems to be some local activists using the data, as well as some uh, hacktivists, more accurately, um, and some national groups, such as the Taxpayers' Alliance. It's not exactly clear who these are. One very high-profile case you may know of is Barnet, where the um, so-called Easy Council was contracting out many services, and a group of bloggers and activists used the spending data alongside judicial review and other mechanisms to try and stop this happening. So what are they looking for? Now, I asked for what sort of data they were interested as compared the spending data with contracts and other information, and it seems that the spending data is the most interesting of the open data released under the transparency agenda. What my research into FOI showed was that actually it's quite nuanced what sort of information people look for. A lot of people use information to look for something very localised and of personal interest rather than the high profile overall spending. So what we seem to be getting when I asked in the survey is there is high level interest in things that you'd expect such as council tax, business rates and um, credit balances on certain accounts and this may be media, this may be NGOs. But underneath this, there's a very low-level micro-political interest in some very personalised issues. The classic, of course, being planning, um, public health funeral data, car parking, the sort of local issues that people get involved in. So there's a sort of discrepancy at two levels. And here's an even more difficult question. What is the impact of this? Now, I think, in line with freedom of information and other transparency policies, what may happen is that some authorities have changed how they work to some extent. Uh, the law of anticipated reactions, knowing that somebody may look, may alter behaviour in certain ways. It may also professionalise, clean up accounts, make people more rigorous when they're um, keeping records. A few more cynical, or they would say more realistic, uh, interviewees said that actually this will just camouflage odd spending. It will be given different labels or it will be driven underground. Um, five authorities in the survey and some authorities uh, I spoke with uh, a while ago, I thought that the spending data would actually make for internal transparency. Officials um, and councillors, members would actually use the data themselves and a few said that this was happening. But many, when I asked them specifically in the survey, said it wasn't simply because um, those inside the organisation have access to different sorts of uh, figures and accounts that are much more helpful. So, 
to go back to my three transparencies, has it brought about transparency and accountability? I think it has in particular circumstances. There's a real eclectic mix of users. And this is the public, a few NGOs, and some hyper-local sites, one on the Isle of Wight, which has been quite innovative um, with the spending data. But they're looking at a wide mix of issues, from the very broad, as I said, to the very specific. So it will have different sorts of accountability effects. It may be the part of the rise of what's called a monitorial democracy. There's a whole range of different bodies all looking at what local authorities are doing. And this, this just joins in with, with a, a kind of wide constellation of different uh, accountability mechanisms. Okay, so let's just take a brief detour into the world of the armchair auditor. I haven't found many armchair auditors, although I'm happy to talk about what I have found. Um, and here's how one armchair auditor I did find explained it to me. So let's imagine that we all want to be an armchair auditor. And let's imagine what we need to do to be the armchair auditor. There's lots of things we actually need. We need the motivation to do it. We need the skills, probably statistical literacy. We probably need IT skills. We need the time to be able to look in detail at the spending data. And most importantly, and possibly most rarely, we need to understand how local government works and have an interest and knowledge of local government finances to do it properly. And interestingly, there has been a form of armchair audit available for the last few decades. The audit regulations at local government level allow us to enter for a few days a year into the local authority and look through their books, and very few people ever do. Here's uh, an example from uh, Canterbury City Council, uh, which is where I live. And uh, at first glance, it appears that the spending data is what we'd call a low threshold mode of participation, which means that it's very easy to look at and use. But actually, when you look in detail, I think it's rather nuanced. It's rather difficult to use. Because the first thing I would think when looking through this is, I think I'm going to make a freedom information request. I think I'm going to get in touch with the council and try and find out what all this data means. So I think for armchair audit to work, it needs to link to clear and effective mechanisms. There's a difficulty over what exactly an armchair auditor would do with this information. Where would they send it? Who would they give it to? The scrutiny overview committee, the opposition, the council itself, the local media. It operates often in those cases I've found where there is some sort of accountability vacuum. Something that should be bringing accountability is not doing its job or doesn't exist. And there is often some sort of controversy attached. Like FOI, this sort of accountability worked best with other mechanisms. And the example of MPs' expenses, which so motivated um, the government, I think is rather misleading. Remember, the MPs' expenses took four years to get hold of the information. It wasn't armchair auditors. It was three very experienced journalists. They went through the information commissioner, the information tribunal, the high court, and then they didn't get the information. It was leaked to the Daily Telegraph. And even after that, we're not entirely sure what effect the publication of all this expenses data being published had upon MPs' behaviour. You'll see last week there was more controversy about a rise in uh, expenses again. So participation, there hasn't been, apart from isolated cases, there hasn't been a large push towards engagement. That's firstly because there's probably a lack of context or narrative to this data. People get involved in local politics when they see local amenities disappearing or when the library down the road or the swimming pool is being shut. This data doesn't necessarily tell us all of that. There's a lack of link to other tools. This is closely related to the localism agenda, but there isn't as yet a kind of proliferation of 
public um, community budgeting or local referenda or other kind of new tools that were promised. And also the classic problem of a lack of interest in local government. There was a lot of feeling that once austerity bit, people would get much more involved in local government. Actually, it's much more complex than that. People are sometimes made more apathetic by uh, economic difficulties or disinterested in politics because they have other worries. It could be that there is hidden use by activists at a very low level, and they're using this as part of other campaigns and that I haven't yet found it. And finally, transparency and informing. There's a possibility that the media coverage will filter into um, discussions that are ongoing. Um, somebody used the spending data from Openly Local, a journalist from Liverpool, to do a series of stories on Southern Cross, which is the care home providers. Um, I think this area will greatly be, great, be greatly enhanced by Openly Local and the applications that allow visualisation and understanding. And according to the Local Government Association, this is what local authorities are really keen on doing, linking up this data to other sources of data to localise the information. But their major concern is that they don't have the resources to do this. Um, just to give you an illustration, Doncaster Metropolitan Borough Council uh, very kindly list the page views for different parts of their websites. And here's the information. This is the, the classic sort of uh, idea of how people interact with local government, which is broadly true. You can see the visits on the part of the website about planning as compared with the part of the website where you can watch activity in the chamber itself and in procurement and transparency. Now, one way of looking at this information is to say people aren't interested in transparency. They're interested in their bins and their planning. But another way of looking at it is if the data is linked up, if the spending data is linked to local amenities and how they work, the whole thing could have a much more uh, powerful impact. So just some final thoughts. Um, I'm a political scientist, so I was quite impressed as this research went on to find how many political dynamics underlay uh, what was happening here. From a local government perspective, um, one uh, interviewee said, well, local government doesn't really have any power over spending, so why should people be interested? So it locks into dynamics about the fact that the UK has one of the most stringent central controls of what local authorities can do. And also the internal dynamics of local authorities, a bit like FOI. There's a vast range of uh, levels of engagement with the kind of spending data and open data more generally. We all know the kind of high profile innovators, um, but at the other end, there's those who are displaying very much what you'd call minimal compliance and what some people regard as a chore to be undertaken and not to be supported in any way. My sense is that the average leadership in the average local authority is not really sold on what this information is meant to be for. They don't see what's in it for them and they don't see why they should push it. Looking at central government, um, one of the problems is that uh, the government is sending out mixed messages, as the Shakespeare review said. Is this about economic ends? Is it about social goals? Is it about political goals? And what exactly are they expecting to see? The more cynical or realistic felt that actually the spending data was designed to blame local authorities for the spending cuts. In fact, the way that the technology and the data is framed could lend itself to thinking negatively about local authorities spending. The headlines about bar bills, the headlines about money spent on food. And this plays into uh, what, what some would argue would, is an erroneous view of local authorities that they're profligate and wasting huge amounts of money. A wider concern among the entirety of the open data um, 
reforms is that it may be a Trojan horse for privatization, handing ammunition to private providers to point to local authorities and other providers and say how much the public sector costs. And some are also concerned that it's a smokescreen. Open data is about giving information that government chooses to give while actually rowing back on information rights more generally. So, will it be worth it? Here's scenario one. This is called the data.gov scenario based on some work by Alan Pellard, um, who's at the University of Tel Aviv. He took a look at uh, Obama's initiative to create uh, an online data portal. And until it was recently uh, revamped, uh, it was widely regarded as a failure. It was a failure personally because there was mixed messages from the government over what it was meant to do. Most importantly, depart departments would not cooperate. They would not put up-to-date, useful information on there. Not because they didn't want the public to see it, but they didn't want competing departments to see it because they'd use it as ammunition in future spending rounds. As a consequence, the public were less interested because the data were less useful, and there was a sort of cycle of what I'd call disinterest. A more optimistic scenario, and this is something a number of innovators have spoken about, is that they can imagine how this spending data could lock into all sorts of interest in applications. You can imagine a, a kind of wonderful mix of openly local and they work for you localized. And here the information could um, tell people about what's happening in terms of spending on their own streets, which is where people are interested. This would not only be good for the citizen who normally seeks localized information, but also extremely useful for local authorities themselves as a policy making tool about targeting resources and understanding where their money goes and what impact it has. So what does it need to work? Like freedom of information, it requires people to use it. I'm not convinced people will use it very much directly, but innovations and applications, I think, are where it could really be used. It also needs high-profile support. It needs politicians at the national and local level to champion this for it to work. It needs to have a narrative. It needs to have context and be linked to other information. And it needs clear mechanisms of uh, accountability and participation. Okay, so just... A very final set of thoughts. Um, the last point first, it's very early days. Very early days. So we don't know what will happen. The normal pattern with technological innovation is that the people who use it initially use it in a completely different way from what people later use it for. The aims are very complex. Some people think they're naive. Some people think they're optimistic. Some people think actually their hope about armchair auditors hides a far more menacing um, agenda about privatization. What it does do is make assumptions about what information people want and what they will do when they receive that information, which is itself much more nuanced. It's the classic technological solution to a political problem, um, as if technology can solve issues around spending, accountability, and public engagement. The neutrality of technology, and this is not just about the spending data, but about open data and information technology and politics more generally, the neutrality of it often masks very deep kind of political issues, although I would say that I'm a political scientist. Um, one of the issues is that it may misunderstand the internet and politics. Some of this discussion is about whether people are going to participate, whether they're going to be consulted, whether they're going to vote, whether they're going to hold somebody to account in the traditional way. And some arguments, people like Andrew Chadwick, um, have spoken about how actually the internet allows people to use things in multiple ways simultaneously in very different modes from which we're used to uh, in the old style of democracy. So um, that's the end of what I've got to say. I'm very interested in what you think. Uh, any thoughts on who I could speak to? 
how I can contact any open data users, uh, examples or innovations I should look to. And if anybody does want to know more about this or wants to speak with me, my email address is there. So thank you. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.